Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. Mother, yes. Good morning, everybody. Um, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's a joy and a privilege to share uh, what, what I'm going to share today. But before I go into it, let me just say, you know, I um, I think it's such a such a wonder when we pay attention to just collectively what some of us we were feeling God wants to do with us as a church. Because I am speaking today, and I did ask God, you know, guide guide me in what to speak, you know, put put in my heart what you want, what's on your heart, and so I just felt um, this burden. Uh, so on a more serious note, uh, j- just this ongoing uh, call to respond to what God is doing in many of our hearts, uh, and I say this because okay, I need to refer because I made sure to be concise when I wrote it down. God is is gentle, um, and He is very firm. In, in drawing many of you and I to go deeper with him. And there is a, an invitation to a deeper healing and deeper you know, trusting in him because of what is ahead and, and what God wants to move us into ahead, both personally and, and as a community. And, and with that, I sense two things. Uh, one is that some of you have been sitting on, okay, just sitting on this breakthrough that God wants to bring in your life. Um, either not daring to, uh, or we're not, you know, just we're not allowing God to press us into it because it's, it's difficult, it's painful. And so you've been on the verge of that something that is not happening. Yeah, and yet you desire it. You know, there's that fear, but then the, the, you desire it. And, and if that's you, you know that's you. And the second thing I sense is another thing is that there's just this sense of plowing that God has been doing, you know, for the past few months with us as, as, as a church, uh, from, you know, the prayer series and Jesus is better through the Lent season. And, and God really wants to, even as we sang during worship, he wants to reveal more of himself and he really does, and he wants us to just draw near with a hunger for more. And that, like, you know, is how we sang this morning as we ended worship, right? More and more of you. And so I come this morning, I also really want to hear and see what God wants to do in my life, and I know he wants to speak to you. And so with that, uh, we're going to read the scripture together. There are no slides. <laughs> Just because I didn't have time. No, no. Also because today is a, of a different sort. But what we will do is we will read Isaiah 49 together. Um, Isaiah 49, verses 13 to 26, which I'm reading from ESV. And you can uh, use that same or different. It's fine. But we will all read together aloud if you, if you can. Yeah, Isaiah 49, verses 13 to 26, long but we can do it. 13, let's go. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget 
yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste, your destroyers, and those who lay you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants, and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, the place is too narrow for me, make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away, but who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. 24. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. All right. Keep your Bibles open uh, at that place. Uh, Let's pray. God, we come. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness in our lives and your, uh, your vision for our lives, your plan that is always good. And this morning we ask, um, we just humbly come and, and we ask you do what you will and do what only you can do and speak right into our hearts as we bring it before you. Um, and so, yeah, with that, we say yes to all you want to do uh, as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. And before we dive uh, deeper into a couple of verses, very quick uh, context of this chapter, Isaiah 49. Okay, background. So Isaiah, a prophet primarily to Judah, the southern kingdom, contemporary of Micah. Right. Uh, during uh, so he reigned. So he came in. I think in the year the the king King Uzziah died. Okay, uh, and so then there were three other kings: Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And this book, uh, Isaiah, very long book, sixty-six chapters, the same number of books as in the Bible. Uh, usually uh, divided into two sections. So Isaiah one, Isaiah two. Uh, some of you may f- be familiar with the, you know, the servant songs. So in it is this this section in the book of Isaiah where we find ourselves. And um, so Isaiah, when he's writing uh, this chapter, the context of it is beginning from chapter forty-eight. Uh, Israel, you know, has been stubbornly just resisting God and and you know worshiping idols. 
Uh, and so in chapter 48, verse 11, uh, God, uh, you know, there's this, uh, Isaiah writes about this furnace of affliction where God is trying his people, right? Uh, 48, verse 10, I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. And so yet God is here, uh, chapter 48, expressing he wants to give new hope to his people. And he is longing for Israel, right? 17 to 19, verses 17 to 19. And then he announces very briefly towards the end of 48, a coming redemption, right? Now in chapter 49, uh, then we see this sort of like a peak of the servant of the Lord, who is that Messiah who will bring about, you know, who will fulfill the mission of Israel that God has given to Israel. And then the chapter goes on to talk about, from verse 8 to 12, God's promises. And so in our, ch- our passage today, verse 13, where we started reading, it says, sing for joy, right? Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Uh, what we see here is that even inanimate, created things are praising God because of these promises in the verses before 13, Right? Oh, you know, the servant of the Lord, he's going to do this, do this. And God says, you know, I will establish you. I will make you a light unto the nations, yada, yada. So he's promising further what this uh, salvation, this redemption for his people looks like. So verse 13 goes, so all things, you know, hey, sing for joy, mountains, shout unto God. Right? But Israel, look at verse 14, Israel feels abandoned, and forsaken, verse 14. It's like, you know, oh, you know, that's all great. Thank you. Great, Isaiah, great words. But God, you've abandoned us, right? Still, God continues to respond. He continues to be fiercely faithful. In the rest of the chapter, you'll see this. And he continues to promise restoration to his people and punishment for their enemies, okay? So that's like a brief, brief overview. Lots more. I'm sure many of you, you've probably studied more than I have, so I'm just throwing this out there. Enjoy your Bible study, okay? We all love Bible study, don't we? Yes? Yes. So unpacking, let's unpack verses 14, 15, and 16. Now the verses I want us to focus on starts from there, okay? But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. But Zion said, Zion, or uh, actually Sion, right? Used 47 times in Isaiah, which is the most number of times in the Bible. Zion is mentioned the most in Isaiah. In this passage, Zion, in certain passages, maybe Zion is referring to like the place, okay? Uh, the temple, like Mount Zion. Or it's another way of talking about Jerusalem, yes. Uh, but specifically here, Zion at this point is referring to the believing people of God. Okay, the, the Israel within Israel, or the remnant of the people who actually believe God's promises. They believe in God. They believe in God's promises. And so as a whole, God's people corporately have been rebelling against God. And Isaiah says, you know, your city will be devastated. The Babylonians are going to rise up. Our people will be deported to Babylon. They will stay there. But within the nation, there are believers who have heard Isaiah's words, and they have been struck by his message, all right? So this is the the people. They've been gripped by the word of God through him. Yes, the Babylonians are going to come. Our cities will be devastated, will be deported. This is the ultimate expression of God's judgment, right, on his rebellious people. They have mingled their worship with ungodly worship, right? And ungodly people 
who seeks to profess God still, but while following the ideas and the values of the world. So Isaiah has been speaking words of judgment and condemnation and warning against these ungodly ways, and also yet bringing words of assurance and comfort from God and his promises. So before verse 13, you see Isaiah speaking of the servant, right, who represents Israel, be a light. So great are these promises that the mountains will shout for joy. The mountains will sing. And you would think that this message would cause Zion, the people of God, you know, of hearing the ultimate victory and God's pardon and all this for his people, that they would respond like the mountains, right? Sing for joy. Yeah, woo! But it says, verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forgotten me. Why? Verse 14, Interestingly, in Isaiah 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, and chapter 1, verse 28, it tells us about how God is indicting Israel for forsaking Him. Isaiah 1, verse 4, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. Verse 28, chapter 1. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together. Those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Who's the one forsaking who? Israel forsook God, right? It's Israel. But here Zion is saying, the Lord has forsaken me. You've forgotten me. Us, you've forgotten us, your people. The outrageous thing is this very strong feeling, them feeling, is that God acknowledged it. God acknowledged what they felt. It's like, I mean, he's not, um, he, you know, he's not saying, yeah, okay, feel it, feel it, feel that I've forgotten you. No, but he is accepting it. He is accepting that's how they're feeling it. He's not dismissing it, even though they're the one who strayed and deserted God, as is ourselves in our lives too, right? Isaiah 60 verse 15, read how this says, whereas you have been, God is telling his people, whereas you have been forsaken, he's meeting them where they are. Whereas you have been forsaken, I will make you majestic forever. Isaiah 60, 15. Isaiah 54, the Lord has called you like a wife deserted, like a wife who was cast off for a brief moment, I have deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. The truth is that God promised multiple times. And we're just looking at Isaiah. Isaiah 4, 1, verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Isaiah 42, verse 16, I will lead the blind in a way they do not know. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. I do many things, but I do not forsake my people. Isaiah 44, 21, remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. You will not be forgotten by me. And see how God redeems 
their brokenness so beautifully. Last two verses, Isaiah 62. Many of us may know this verse. We read from Isaiah 68. Oh no, that was Psalm. Isaiah 62. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land will be called married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. It goes on, verse 12, same chapter, Isaiah 62. They shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. You shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Isn't it true the Bible is so realistic that we are not reading it where it projects a form of piety that ignores the very real struggles and questions that often afflict the lives of the people of God? We come to church or live group meetings, our Christian gatherings or seminars with mixed emotions, crushing questions, confusion sometimes. We believe in God, yet the challenges that you face in your life, the injustices you see, the iniquities you struggle with, the inequalities that you experience, they leave us with big, big questions, big, big emotions, a dissonance between what we experience and what we hear God say. Right? I see the first part of verse 14 this way. Look at it closely. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. Yahweh has forsaken me. It is a theological struggle. God is, you should not be. The Lord is not one who forsakes. And it goes on second, my Lord, my Lord, my lover, my husband, my, the one on whom my love depends has forgotten me. So you struggle with theological understanding. How is this, God? How is this okay? And we struggle on a personal, emotional level. How is this okay? It's not. And we look at the state of the world we're in, right? God's church. And we sometimes wonder, why, God, if you are in control, why don't you control with more control, right? God, if you are really sovereign, be more sovereign. And we have expectations what it looks like. I do. We find ourselves plagued by this questioning and sometimes just unbearable weight. We feel like giving up because it seems God's giving up. He doesn't care. He's left us. He's unable. We cannot trust him to protect us from trouble, from harm. We feel abandoned, whether personally or corporately. God, my God, how can this be? You have forsaken us. But what is God's response? Verse 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. 16. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. I will not forget you. God uses the strongest argument possible, right? A mother's bond with her child to communicate. It's a gentle rebuttal. It's a rhetorical question. I don't think it matters what your answer is. Can, even if, can, I will not, God is saying. 
He's telling his people with the strongest argument possible to his people, you are safe and you are secure and I will never forsake you. As unbreakable and intimate a mother's attachment with a child may be, God is taking it a step further. His attachment is a covenant he is faithful to keep in our faithlessness, that even in the strongest of bonds break, he will not break bonds. Hear what Charles Spurgeon wrote, the affection of a right-minded mother for her tender and helpless offspring is one of the strongest experienced by human beings. But though strong, very strong, it may, alas, okay, alas, older English, it may give way. It is at best only a creature's love and therefore changeable, while that love which is exercised by God towards us, his believing children is like him, unchangeable. These words prove, were made to prove that the love of the divine father towards his sons and daughters is not a fluctuating thing. What other interpretation can you put on these words? I will not forget you. David the psalmist understood when he wrote Psalm 27 verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Normally, it is a slave who would bear the mark of the master. But here, in a word, condescension, in an in a, in a understanding of theology, it is God condescending himself willingly. He says, I engrave you on my hand. The master engraving the servant's name on himself. He bears the mark of your name on him. Notice the divine highlighter. Okay, verse 16. Behold, look carefully. Look at my mark. You know, can you picture someone who's, you know, just got a tattoo, you know, hey, look here, I want to show you this, you know, guess what I've got, you know, look at this. Okay, I've got so-and-so's name on my arm, <laughs> right? This engraving is a display of affection, of something you are passionate about, a prominent and lasting mark that cannot be hidden or not meant to be erased. It's telling others of your exclusive devotion, what is so significant to you that you would have it permanently branded on yourself. Behold, don't miss it. I have engraved your name. Your name on the palm of my hand. In this commentary by Vine, W.E. Vine, he says, to be graven on the palms of God's hands is suggestive of the closest identification with himself, of his unchanging love and his constant mindfulness of you. In all of his emotions and activities he goes about, ah, 
your name. Often in our unbelief, our forgetfulness, our discouragement, we lose sight of our preciousness in the sight of God. But what is here conveyed in the fullness of expression, it reminds us, well, vine reminds us, it is like that time in the upper room in John 15 when Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so you are loved. Abide in this love. Abide in this love. The outflowing of the Lord's heart for his people. Behold, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. You know what? Your walls, it's, like, it's not just your name. It is who you are, your circumstances, your history, your experiences, your past, your present, your future, all of you, your entire person, your life, all of you engraved right there. He has it continually before him. Everything about you, everything that concerns you is continually before him. Your ruins or your strengths, everything before him. You can picture it. God saying, I have put you all together here. Do you ever say God has forsaken you? He has you inscribed on his palms. These assurances, of course, one can say, you know, to accurately interpret it, it's really talking about Israel. Yes. But I believe for us as believers, there is valid application, right? Like Zion, like God's people, we know Jesus is our savior. Jesus, our deliverer. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus, Jesus is my friend, my counselor. God promises us salvation, not slavery to sin. Light and not darkness. Victory, not defeat. Life, not death. God has given us every spiritual blessing. We read about this in the New Testament, Old Testament. All of this are our inheritance. We are heirs of Christ. We are sons and daughters of God. These are great promises. We praise him. We have gratitude. We pray. We do our Christian stuff. But we are still sometimes grappling with a sense of hopelessness, a lack of courage, with a weariness upon our spirits. We are battling, whether it's day in and day out or in times of crisis. While I believe in God, deep down I believe sometimes God has left me to fend for myself. That is the truth. God doesn't care. I feel abandoned, whether on a personal level or God, your people, do you not see? God, how can this be? You've forsaken us. We cannot trust him to protect us. We're afraid to trust deeply. Are you? We can't commit our whole life to him. What if decides, oh, this one can't make it. CMI. I learned this new acronym. This one's CMI. Cannot count. I thought it's some insurance company. But this one's CMI. Uh, and he walks away. Yeah, oh no. When I was uh, meditating on this, God pointed something out to me. Because I always remember in Hebrews this verse that says, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, right? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
you know, picture a, a lot of times when, you know, my young kids are climbing around and just running around in their sharp corners, especially when they were even younger. I would, you know, just, I would be the corner bumper with my hand. And they have no idea what I'm protecting them against. They're just going about their day. They're just running around and then like, but sometimes you all as parents when you're hanging out and you're having play date, we see, I see what you're doing. Got your hand there, very good. Good dad, good mom. But there is this picture yourself as a young kid when you know, you know, you can trust God to keep you from unnecessary harm, from pain that you cannot bear or should not bear. He is protecting you. And sometimes we're not aware of it. And sometimes we don't know, we take it for granted, right? But when we are really hurting, when we are in such pain, that's when we're like, God, why didn't you protect me, right? So I think of my children, I'm like, I, yeah, I don't tell them every time I'm protecting them. But I know that I want them to trust me. Even when they do feel harm, I will heal with them. I can't and I will not spare them from pain entirely. Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. When you know God as that loving one, there is courage, there is faith. There is courage to hurt. And I, you know, I'm not saying this flippantly, there is courage to contend, battle. This actually was quoted from Joshua chapter one, verse five. This, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So of all the people in the Bible, I think Joshua heard it maybe the most number of times, right? I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. It echoes from Deuteronomy. No man shall be able to stand before you. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of the things you face, for the Lord goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It is the Lord who goes with you. He goes before you. He's behind you. He's all around you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So this morning, is God speaking courage with love into your hearts? In a sense, we are like Joshua, guys. We live in a defining moment for the people of God. In so many ways, every arena, the challenge is before us. How can we cross over and lay hold and live out these promises God has given to us in super unfamiliar terrain? Scary, so many stuff we're up against, whether it is at home with parenting, marriage, values and morality. We just w talked about sex, money, power. In our homes, in our workplaces, work ethics, loyalties, allegiances, integrity, all these things in schools, in, in our society, truths to uphold, relationships to contend for, causes to stand for, we are human. There will be times we question, we wonder, has God left the room? God, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. Where are you? God understands we feel that way. 
and He meets you there. And I think He really wants you to know that today. God knows we can find it hard to believe, even if other things fail, even when the closest ones disappoint. He will not leave. Will you trust God who will not forsake but love with the fiercest of devotion? Do not fear. And God further took me and saw Jesus on the cross before he died. One of the things he said, Eloi, Eloi, why have you forsaken me? God loves us so much, he was willing to have Jesus, his son, experience that so that you understand he will never forsake you. And that was necessary. The cross was necessary. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I have drawn you with an everlasting love. I delight in you. I will contend with those who contend with you. I will show you my compassion. I will protect you. I will never leave. I ask God, okay, so God, you know, I don't have a topic today. I have no idea what the topic is. I just really felt God wanted to take us in several directions. I'm like, why? Okay, how, ah? Uh? God, how? Okay, and so if you can just track with me, I'm just going to lead us in a time of response. Is that okay? Just close your eyes, uh, just for concentration, just because then, you know, it's distracting when we look around. And I'll have the worship team come up, uh, please. Um, and right where you're seated, can I encourage you to lean in and listen to what God wants to tell you? Beyond God saying, I have, you know, I have not forsaken you. I will never leave you. I am devoted to you. Beyond this, what is God saying to you? What is an area you just really find, if you're honest, you struggle to know that God really cares about that. You struggle with believing that God is there. Maybe it was a past um, incident. You struggle to know that 
you to believe God you're there or maybe right now in your current situation you're really struggling to trust God that he cares it could be a personal burden or it could be something you're walking with others about I don't know but just a sense that many of you need to kind of respond to him in your own unique situation so this morning I'll give you a bit of room and, and time to do that before response respond with song and if there's just one that Holy Spirit is highlighting to you would you respond to him with your own words or gesture Just a minute. God, we thank you that you remind us gently but firmly your love, your fierce devotion, your unchanging love and your faithfulness for your people. Your people. And God, this morning we stand even wherever we are, you know, coming from in life, you know, whether it's we're in a place where we utterly like are in despair, or we're in a good, good place, whatever it is, God, we come with all our strengths, our weaknesses, our circumstances, whatever that we're holding in our hands, and we come before you and we say, God, we thank you that your love that is fierce gives us a fierceness in our spirit. God, that we may be weak, but your strength makes us perfect. And God, that you are not afraid of big emotions. You are not afraid of the times of lament where we cry out, God, why are you forsaking me? You are not afraid of that. But you remind us this morning that your love arises above these circumstances and we can fix our eyes on you. And just like a child, God, in your presence, under your protection, 
There is room for us to live with courage. There is room for us to lean into our healing. There is room for us to trust in you. In times when it looks like we cannot, we can trust that you are nothing like anything or anyone in our lives that may let us down because we are imperfect, but you are not imperfect. You are God, you are covenantal love itself. And you give us courage in the midst of clarity where we can see, God, your love so clearly. You speak courage into our hearts. And so this morning, let that be the main word, God. Speak courage into our hearts where we feel abandoned, where we feel helpless, where we feel powerless, where we feel unjustified, where we feel betrayed, where we feel we're hurting, where we feel we're unable to help those who are hurting. God, you speak courage and faith and, and hope in our hearts. And with that, God, we look to you even as a church. Help us to walk with each other and, and being just these messengers of your fierce love and courage for us through each other and, and calling it out in each other in this community. Help us to do that. Strengthen us in unity and maturity. Strengthen us and deepen our love for you and our love to wrestle with true deep things so that you can grow us and mature us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's praise God.